Blair Palmer and welcome to the Punks in Suits podcast, bringing the leadership thinking, beliefs, philosophies and practices behind punky, startupy next stage businesses to you, even if your company's not quite there yet. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Punks in Suits podcast. I have an interview for you today, and I think that many of you will find this really interesting. There are, for me, two aspects of developing yourself as a leader right now. The first is to do the inner work, to do the inner development, to really get clear on who you are, what drives you, what gets in the way, how you get in your own way um, of what you're capable of doing. And the second part of being a great leader right now is being willing to question everything, to put those big questions on the table and look at them in a way that by answering those questions, you may have to change your point of view. It may disrupt the way you see yourself and the world. And I think that those are the kinds of leaders we need now, leaders that are willing to do that. Well, my interviewee this week, Alexander Mayer, has done both of those things. He's rethought his own approach to leadership and the leadership style that he uses and the beliefs that underpin that. And he's also allowed himself to think the unthinkable when he'd taken that heroic, the buck stops with me approach to leadership to its absolute limits. I had sleeping problems for three months, uh, anxieties. Um, I was just felt like oh, I'm on speed yeah? and um, I cannot calm down anymore. So in this interview, he talks really honestly about his career with Sangaban and some of the changes that he's making there as MD of one of their divisions. He talks about his own realizations, about his own leadership, and he gets into depth about what it's really like to help an organization go from a hierarchy to a self-managing or self-directing system. So it's kind of got everything. I should warn you, it's quite long, this interview. So settle in, save it for a nice long car journey or something like that. But I know that you'll enjoy it. And I'll see you on the other side. Alex, hello. <laughs> hello. Good to, uh, good to have this opportunity to talk to you again. The reason that I wanted to talk to you is that the theme of these podcasts has been about creating organizations that work in today's and tomorrow's context. This idea that the industrial age, the sort of hierarchical parent-child boss style of leadership won't cut it in today's commercial environment and that it actually isn't really suited to the culture that's emerging in our organizations and in the world around us. So, so that's why I want to talk to you. And I, I'm going to tease our listener for a little bit because I don't want to explain exactly what it is you're doing straight mm. away. But you are working, you're the managing director of one of the businesses within the Sangaban organization. And yes, this yeah. is an organization that's been around really since before the industrial age, 350 years or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how does an organization like that stay relevant? I mean, what's in its DNA that kind of explains its longevity? So um, what's, what is Sangabar makes it lasting so long? I mean, 350 years, think about, they, they went through the French Revolution, they went through the First and Second World War, and then and it's still existing. And I think um, one major point, maybe, which is the difference from Sangaba, if you, if you look and observe the stock market of Sangaba, because they are, they are they're listed in the stock market, European stock market, 
Um, they are not this kind of company you see with 20, 30, or 50% growth. They are this kind of companies who have a growth of maybe 3%, maybe 4, maybe 2, sometimes 1, uh, but steady. I would say one thing, in, in, instead of having um, short-term wins and thinking short-term, and you can optimize a business short-term. I mean, I can, uh, you know, with a facility here in, in Bristol, I can, within three years, I can squeeze any penny out of them and, and look, make the figures look amazing. Then I move on, and that's super great. Yeah, but for the people and for the business, it's not sustaining. So and I think one difference for for Sangaba is they um, they make they put the focus on long-term sustaining decisions rather than on short-term um, business decisions which can optimize profit for a while, but not really long-lasting. I think this is one difference. And the other difference is um, Sangaba is able to continuously adapt to the environment. I mean, think about. Uh, 1680, 1670, what was the environment? The environment was we had real manufacturers, small, small, mini manufacturers who have been masters of something, like glass, this is where Sangaba is coming from, or mirrors. Um, now to industrial age where, where knowledge is important, where combining knowledge is important, and the information um, time uh, and speed, what we have right now around us. So this difference are massive. So Sangaba was able over the time to adapt to really what is needed in the new environment which is, which is coming up. And also uh, foresee, so looking maybe 10 years in the future, 15 years in the future, what could be future trends and where we're going. And some businesses, um, they have left because it was not sustainable. Actually, Sangaba was in the petrol industry. And I don't know whether really people know that, but history, they have been in the petrol industry, but they left it. Say, well, this is not sustaining for us. This is not really the real future. So they have been able to adjust to the environment over time with massive changes within the, the big organization and corporation as well. And um, I would say the second pillar is probably they're quite di diversified. If you see Sangaba is actually a habitat business, which is about housing or around housing and making excellence um, living experience. But if you see our product, which is high performance materials and plastics, and we have not even plastics in our part, we are Renko, um, Renko. we're doing tolerance rings on metal parts. So they try to diversify the business, and when the building business goes down, they have other businesses who are really keeping up. But always going for customized, high quality, high demanding, specialized product. Never ever Sangaba will go for commodity, um, or competing, trying to compete on a on a mass market. For this, they need to have a certain environment, and this is maybe leads into our conversation we have. What is a new environment, and what is Sangaba adjusting to? And they start, and this may be special as well. Sangaba gives us the ability to try new things. They let us test different models. They let us test different ways of working because Sangaba, and Sangaba is um, and the our CEO sees that the environment is changing and we need to have new ways of leadership, new ways of operating, new ways of organization. And with their history, they're able to adapt, able to test, able to try and morph into something um, which is suitable for the future to prepare the next 300 years. This is so interesting, isn't it? Because we think that our expectations of business today are so cutting edge. So we talk about being entrepreneurial and innovative and sustainable specialist and high quality and our attitude to risk becomes really important yeah. but actually you're describing an organization that's had those sorts of values for more than 300 years mm -hmm. and I wonder if somehow the sort of industrial age lost its way a bit 
that actually a lot of these ideas that we're about to talk about and, and that are out there in the world of, of business and leadership now, they're not new. They're just something that we lost along the way and that actually the early industrialists were risk takers and they weren't too bothered about status and hierarchy. They were just trying to make some great stuff that solved some problems for their society, for their community. Exactly. So I think when, when, when big... Uh, big names like Ford, Siemens, Otto, um, and and uh, Opel, or all these people who created you know, massive um, organizations. What we see now, yeah, if you see Vauxhall, if you see Ford, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But probably all of them haven't started to say, "I want to make a massive money." This was not in their core intention. Yeah, their core intention was maybe for Henry Ford to say, "I want to provide every person a car." Every person, not the elite, every person, a car. And maybe for him, for sure, he will make money from it. But what, this, what was the value? Was the value making money or was the value providing something to, to people in the world and people in the US and in other organizations? And what comes first? The, the, the first probably comes, maybe depends on where you're coming from, as a laugh as an engineer to solve a problem, yeah? um, or to laugh to provide something for people, which is missing. But it's not coming from, oh, I want to make a million of money. So it starts actually with a purpose, which is much more beyond making money. You know, it's, I mean, if you ask me why, why I'm doing this, what I'm doing in Bristol, and it's, it's a lot of energy, a lot of a personal passion, and, and, and sometimes even, you know, um, like coming home quite late and missing parties and not going out weekends or traveling around to, to, to Germany, try to go on, and on, um, on conferences to get new knowledge about the topic. Why the hell am I doing that? Practically, I could do it. I could do it three years here in England. You know, I'm an expat from Germany. I could sit here easily three years, optimize the numbers like in the old style, carrot stick, make it, make it tweak, make it work, make me look nice to get my new job. So why? And there's other purpose behind. And otherwise, probably I wouldn't find the energy. Probably I wouldn't find the drive. Because money is not the drive. And, you know, getting the next nice job um, maybe in a higher level or um, another business is not my drive as well. And I think this maybe makes, makes a difference and will make a difference in the future that um, I have seen businesses and talked to colleagues in other businesses uh, with outside Sangaba and partly inside Sangaba. What, what is a manager's role when they're moving every three to four years? Think about it. A manager moves every three to four years. And he has three years um, in an organization, like an MD, in an organization, to prove what he's able to do, all right? Three years. You need half a year to understand the business. Then you need maybe half a year, three months to initiate, initiate change. To sustain the change, three to five years actually is realistic if you do big changes, yeah? So what I expect actually from an MD within three years I expect from him um, results, amazing results, optimizing profit, double sales, whatever, whatever. And after three years, I, I take him out and put him somewhere else. So what I'm, what I'm fostering with this kind of behavior is actually short-term thinking. I optimize within three years. And how I can optimize within three years to look nice? Yeah, it's my old style. Maybe I reduce employees, I increase pressure, I try to lead with stick and carrots, um, and maybe with fear depending on, and try to squeeze the organization. Oh, that I, when I leave, yeah, the profit is there. Maybe I've made a bit more sales. The company looks 
looks nicer, but as soon as they leave, everything falls together and the next wave comes in with the next manager and the, and the employee is getting nuts because a new wave is coming with a new person to prove how nice he is and a good he is, which is different, completely different, what I think, to, I don't know, um, the English term for it, but the mid-sized companies in Germany, for instance, family-owned. We have really, really stars in the mid-sized companies in Germany, probably in England as well, where we're between 140, 400, 500, 700 people, employees, family-owned, which are making decisions long-term as well um, to sustain um, their business and making long-term decisions rather than short-term decisions, and they can lead completely differently as well. Maybe it's worth explaining, because uh, we have skirted around it a little, yeah. the, the experiment, in a way, I mean, I call it an experiment, and I guess it is in the sense that you are figuring it out as you go. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's not an experiment in that you're testing the concept, because my understanding is that you, you really deeply believe in what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, and, and the idea basically is that you create a self-managing organization, uh, an organization that doesn't need this strict hierarchy with the MD at the top, kind of mm -hmm. setting all the direction mm -hmm. and making all the big, big decisions. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can explain a bit about, in your mind, what that ultimately looks like and where yeah. you are in that journey so far. So, you know, this is, this is really an energetic topic for me. And when I, when I, when I talk too much, please, please stop me a little bit. And, and I might not be able to answer. I'm <laughs> <only> <laughs> um, okay, so first of all, I want to um, help a little bit with some, some wordings that we get clarity around. I, I differentiate between self-managing and self-directing. Um, so self-managing is, could also be that, uh, in my term, that a team receives a clear, let's say, orientation where the company goes, um, and maybe even markets, uh, even giving a rough direction from, uh, from maybe an, an, a leadership team or a strategy team. It doesn't need to be leaders. And then the different teams like production, um, sales, uh, marketing, or um, production planning, tool shop, so everything around that, are figuring out their way how to solve this challenge without any leading person in the old hierarchy sense who makes decisions or tell people what to do. So there is a direction that is about what's a problem to solve and the team is solving it autonomously without being told which direction, what to do and how to solve it. This is self-managing for me. Right. So the direction is set from above, but exactly. they, do, they work solution, out the how. Without solutions. Right. Yeah? Just yeah. saying direction without solutions. Mm. It's sometimes hard. I mean, set a direction without implicitly or explicitly saying how and actually if you don't know how how do you even know that that is the right direction or if it's even feasible so it can create some some doubt or mistrust amongst people who say well they set the direction they have no idea how to achieve it and now they've they've told us we have to fix the problem exactly yeah and this needs on in a, in a self-managing way this needs check in with a group about the goal so on the, because on the other hand, having 140 people involved in direction setting is a little bit of an organizational challenge. So what, how, how we can do this practically? And my vision is for the future that there will be, a, today this is a management team who's working with in uh, setting the direction together with the first line managers and partly together with employees. But I would say if I set the, if I set the circle, it's maybe 10 management team members two first line managers and two employees sitting together and we set the direction together, if you see the, um, the portion. But in the future, it doesn't mean that the management team need to be the direction setters, 
it should be people who are interested in strategy and direction setting who have a natural passion for it. And believe me or not, not all management team members like strategic work, they hate it. <laughs> yeah? So people in management team have partially people in there uh, which don't like strategy setting and, 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 and visioning and this outlooking forward in five to 10 years and, and all this stuff. They, they are in the here and now. They want to go out and do, and do stuff with their teams and, and, and help to make the day-to-day -day better. So it doesn't automatically mean as a management team is able Set, or everybody in the management team is able to set and want to set strategy. Yeah? Even that's the best right to sit in the management team with other skills they have. So the future idea is there will be a group of people whose skills and interests are to create strategies, vision, and direction to go for the whole site and check in with the different groups on site whether they can see this while we're going there and understand and agree or say, well, I, I don't understand this completely and then we need to do another circle. So this is, this is for me a bit the future. But the difference for me is self-directing and self-managing is separate for me. And maybe this is a, a different steps. So having a com whole company self-directing, oh, this is an organizational challenge to, to bring this, especially within, a, uh, within an organization like Sangaba. I mean, you have influencers from Sangaba who gives directions um, from the business unit, from Sangaba itself, from delegation. So there are a lot of stakeholder influences in the direction, and this needs to be somehow brought together and, and create a strategy and a vision for the site which encompasses and brings all this stuff together. So in the future, where, where, where do we see this organization in the future? I have a medium and a long-term view, personally. The medium term is that we are weakening and blurring more and more the boundaries between management team and first-line managers and employees. Mm. So we're melting together already things. For instance, when we, when we set priorities in, in investment projects, we do buying machinery, building a new building, or whatever we need to do, we're involving already different people from, from, uh, from different areas in the business. Well, it doesn't matter whether you're a manager or a leader or not, you can come in and, and listen and you can give your input and, and you're, you're welcome. So we're already blurring um, this typical hierarchy things by inviting people in just to listen. For instance, when we have management team meetings once a month for a day, um, we're inviting first-time managers in and we'll, uh, we invite employees in. Yeah, but in terms of practicalities, we cannot invite 100 people and we're inviting maybe two people from, 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 from each area in to say, okay, two first-time managers, two employees, just to listen, give input. But this is a starting point to get used to this kind of going away from hierarchy but in, including more and more people in decision-making, listen to different perspectives, listen to different... Um, viewpoints from, from different areas of the business. Then the question is when the leaders are not the old style leaders anymore who makes decisions and telling people what to do and want to be involved in everything and want to know everything and, and be the knowers who know as well methods and, and theories and how to work and being the experts, but what is their new job then? This is the other way what we, where we develop our organization is what will be the future of our leaders? This is important, otherwise, if you don't give leaders a future, future perspective, what could it be? Fear comes up, uncertainty comes up, and then this old maybe holding to the position and, and defending um, their the turfs is coming up and their, and their areas when I'm not able to give them an outlook of, okay, what will be your job be? What could be your job be? We have a certain journey. We say from a directive, directive leading person, 
or doing by myself and telling other people to a manager, to a leader, to a coach, a team coach. Mm. And then maybe you can even dissolve the coach slowly in terms of the organizational um, level and um, the organization capability. Some leaders like that. They, they can see themselves in that journey. And some people say, well, whoa, this is a little bit, well, disturbing in my, in my view where I want to go. And what, are the, what is the other alternative? The other alternative, they can be good experts again because they came from an expertise. They have been good in maintenance. They have been good in process engineering. They have been good in design. They have been good in application engineering. Really knowledgeable. And some of them went the route because this was the only route to earn more money, being leaders because the expert route wasn't developed. So to so say they, they easily looked, okay, when I want to get more money, what do I need to do? I need to get leadership. Okay, let's go the leadership route. Uh, but however, in core heart, they're an expert about a certain topic. Actually, maybe they don't want to be a leader. They want to be an expert in the topic. It, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because who, I mean, there are roles that are innately management roles. I mean, I'm thinking about the, the football team manager standing on the side and, uh, of the of the pitch during the game and yeah. shouting out orders and ch- choosing who to send onto yeah. the pitch and all of that. So so there are those kind of roles, but actually, the life of most managers in terms of the management stuff they have yeah. to do is is pretty gruesome. I mean, the, yeah. it's the boring stuff. Yeah, there are some things that are fun, like running a brainstorming session or mm-hmm. or getting a group together to innovate or to come mm-hmm. up with some sort of idea or to solve a problem or whatever. Um, but the kind of day-to-day management of people, the giving of feedback and the often which is critical yeah. feedback rather than, you know, support and encouragement yeah. um, and the sort of maneuver, moving the chess pieces around. Yeah. When I stand in front of an audience and ask the audience, what did you want to be when you were seven? None of them say, I wanted to be a manager of other people. <laughs> Just no, it's no one's yeah. ambition, right? Yeah. And yet, that is the career trajectory. Yeah. But, so, so it makes perfect sense when you don't put ego into the picture. But as soon as you put ego, which we all have an ego, into the picture and you say, we're going to take that away, mm-hmm. that kind of I'm the boss here now, uh, sort of the thing that feeds the ego, then I can definitely see that people would say, well, what am I working towards then? You know, mm-hmm. I, I start my career after university. I'm 22, 23 years old, and I'm going to work until I'm 65. And I'm, what, just going just gonna to be the same as everybody else? Mm-hmm. Well, what's in it for me? Yeah, exactly. And if I, if, I, if I would see it from this perspective and I was listening to myself, it would tell me that I would, would be quite boring, actually. Um, however, how we, can, how we can make this exciting is that before we, we were coming from an organization where, you know, we had a, a commercial manager. He was, he, was, he was managing internal sales, customer relation, um, quotes, uh, and all this kind of stuff. What a normal, typical commercial manager does. Then we had a supply chain manager. Supply chain manager was doing purchasing, production planning, and warehouse. Let's take these two examples. And we have this kind of silos where they say, okay, this is my turf and this is my turf. Where we are, this is where we started two years ago. Where we are right now is, for instance, the supply chain manager is now leading a tool room, tool design, tool management. Has nothing to do with his traditional supply chain area where he's coming from. He's still leading warehouse. But what is happening right now is actually people are taking areas over areas of interest, 
because he wanted to get a little bit more knowledge about operations. So we create an opportunity to look into operations and, and, and lead areas there. And what he was actually experiencing was, wow, I really need to lead now because I'm not the expert in to, because his background is supply chain, nothing to do with tooling. He was empty white piece of paper and tooling. So the only skill he had was leading, purely not telling, but what you should tell, nothing you can tell. Yeah? And then he learned actually more and more pure leading the team by empowering them, working together with them, finding together out what is our goal, what is our purpose, what we try to achieve here together with them. And they suddenly get a lot of power and passion and he's developing them to a self-managing team and give empower them and help them and coach them. Because actually the ability of being the, the expert is taken away. The second thing is we have the principle of we go there as leaders where we are needed and things need to be improved. So we know, for instance, in our business, we have, an, we have at the moment a, a challenge with um, planning, production planning, and well, we have people, leaders, commercial leader, for instance, James, who's really interested in that. Instead of telling him, oh, you need to start now in commercial area, what he's doing now, he's giving pur purchasing back to Duncan, who was there before. He's giving um, his um, area of internal sales, he's giving this to a colleague to application engineering without stucking to it. Oh God, I lose now my empire. Yeah, <laughs> my empire will go, will, will die. No, he's going now where he's needed with his skills and where he wants to be. And the one important thing here, people are happy to do this, but they are feared and, and scared of losing money. Yeah, because money is maybe defined by size of teams level of responsibility of budget I have. And, and if I tell him, okay, you need to help now with this building this new planning system and helping to bring our production to excellence, but actually you have less direct reports. And if you, if you check your budget, you don't have a budget anymore. And actually, by the way, I need to cut your salary by, by 15,000 quid. How likely is he to do this happily? None. Why? <laughs> yeah. So I think the secret behind is to give, give people the security to say, Go out, do what you want, find your place and give value to the organization, but I don't touch your money. I'm not taking money away when you lose um, size of leadership, size of group size or whatever. And, and this is a pitfall. We are sometimes so connected to this hay grading that the different systems you can do. And, oh, if I change my role now, and they are so looking on, oh, number of people, how many budget responsibility I have. And if I reduce my, my little empire now, then it goes to hay grading. Hay grading will downgrade me. And then I have 15 less. This will be impact of my family. And they are right. But this stops them to make things happening, what they want and where they are passionate about. So how can I, as a leader, as, and as a managing director, to take this off the table and say, go where you need it. Go where, where really your passion is, where you make a big difference in value. And experiment, go around and try out. And this is what's happening now. People are shifting between, not only between hierarchies, I said blurring the hierarchy, but also blurring department left and right to say, I'm, I'm do a part of planning, which is actually Duncan's area. Duncan is a part of purchasing, which was my area, because they're passionate about those areas. Yeah, instead of having a department to say, oh, this is your department, and <laughs> this is what you have, if you like it or not, okay. You like 10, you like 80%, but this 20% you must do as well because it's part of the department. No, this 20% go, can go to a different person.
so you found a way by taking away that sort of very base fear that people have about their income and and their sort of progress in their life outside of work you found a way of taking that of quelling that fear what if what if you discover or what if they discover that actually when they really think about what they have to offer Mm they're not needed in the organization right now. So, mm-hmm. so there is security in this kind of quite strict system that says mm-hmm. this job exists and I do it and I create yeah. something to keep me busy yeah. because that's how everyone works. So the situation you're talking about where people are really thinking, where can I add value? What does the organization really need of me? Maybe the yeah. organization doesn't need me this week or yeah. this year. Yeah, because, yeah, exactly. It's also a question of where the organization has currently challenges to need to be solved. Um, this is a good question. We have some, um, some members of the, uh, of the management team who have this, this uncertainty of actually where, where I'm fitting here right now. And there are two options. First of all, we, we have an atmosphere to, dra- to address that. So, so the person can come and say, you know, I, I, I need to talk to you um, because I'm feeling a little bit, mm, I don't know where I fit here, where, I, where I can add most value. And this has two reasons. Uh, for some of them, they never had where the need to think about this because they were thinking in departments. Mm. I was maintenance leader, process engineer leader, operations leader, and this was defining clearly what to do. And then I can get my head around how to do it. But now it's more like, oh, choose. What do you think we can add value? And it's not clearly departmentalized anymore. It's not labeled by names anymore. So... So there's a new way of thinking to follow the heart, follow the emotion, follow what I really want. What is, wow. When I can build my job, what, what, what do I really want? We are there. The people can build their jobs, more or less. In, on, it's a, a definitely on management team level, and we bring this more and more down now. And this is a challenge because the, 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 the question was never there in the past. So we help them with coaching, conversations internally with me or other people, and also external coaching to find their purpose. And funnily or not, we have one member of the team who is now exploring externally what the real passion is. He's helping now a problematic kids who have problems to integrate in, this, in the society again or close to be go to jail or coming from jail or in the jail. Um, um, and he's now spending every second week, a half a Friday to work with them. So he's exploring what he really likes, what he's passionate about. And maybe this will be his future passion maybe his future is it's coaching internally or having a half job internally and a half job externally. Um, so to really give them everybody's support to find out what I really for, what I really striving for. And they, there's help needed sometimes. The second thing is to say, just try out, go around, look, look into uh, health and safety, look into uh, maintenance, look into and, and, and get your head around. So there's no pressure to, to get, get ready. Yeah, know it now. If you don't know it now, you will fire it. Yeah, this is, this is not the way it can work. Confusion takes a little while to get sorted out. And confusion is good because it puts things in question and really refocusing things and really brings you to a new way of connecting to yourself and what do I really want. It's also the responsibility of the person to find out what the person wants. And this is different. If you don't want to be treated as a child, and you don't have, want to have this parent-child relationship. The parent's telling the child what you want. <laughs> you want an ice now, yeah? <laughs> or you want, you want to sleep now, you want to whatever. 
Um, now then take responsibility of your life and think about and find out what you want. Otherwise you put yourself in a child position. And my, or my role is to create the environment to be able to do this. Yeah. And give the best support and the get and, and the best environment to be able to do this. Um, is this always working perfectly? Is this always super easy? No, because we have a day to day to run. We have, we have customers to supply and we have needs on a day to day basis. So, both need to work in the same way so the person has a role and he's supporting the organization to make the day-to-day -day happen. In the same time, you need to think about what is my new purpose, what I want to find out. So it's not easy. It's not like um, retreating, going on a, on a two-week meditation retreat and think about what I want. So you're in the middle of a day-to-day. -day. And, and I'm interested in, because that is such a different way of thinking about yourself and your um, and your working life and your, yourself in, in the life as a whole. There's something very comforting about being a child. Or, In fact, I think that it's not so much that people are children, um, although the parent-child is the, the, the language that we use, but that they're kind of teenage. So yeah. they expect to be given lots of freedom and they expect to be consulted and they expect to have their say, but yeah. then they also want their laundry done. And, yeah. and there is this kind of, that's and like, food somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, they eat everything out of the fridge and then they can't understand yeah. why there's anything in the fridge. There's, there's, yeah. kind of, there's not, they're, they're not children like my eight-year-old who loves, just wants me to look after her. There is this kind of tension between yes. what they want, you know. So we're in that kind of stage. And I, and I, I'm interested in how you got to this point because my understanding of your background is that it was quite conventional. You, you did a, a, an apprenticeship as a car mechanic, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, what was your attitude towards management and kind of moving up the hierarchy and all of that? It, it was quite conventional, wasn't it, up until mm -hmm. a certain point? Yes. So when I, so when I look back where, where, where I started is actually, um, uh, my father died when I was eight, nine, -ish, roughly. And my mother was, um, or is still actually, a, a, a waitress in a restaurant. So the time spending with me um, was limited. So my, um, my, uh, my grandma, my grandpa died when I was 10, 11. So all my closest relations died when I was quite young. So what I learned at that time um, is I have my life in my hands. I'm relying, depending on myself. When I want to make this happen, it's on me. Yeah. Which is, was in the past very powerful because I said, okay, I want to do this. I want to earn my money. I want to do that. I did my car mechanic, was, a, was finishing the car with the best result in the area. And then I did my, 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 my next level, the second education, get my qualification to university. And it was about, I was putting on myself to say, your strengths, your skills, your abilities, because I learned in the past there was nobody around me who backed me up and I could go to to help me. Uh, so the fallback was me. And bringing this into an organization um, worked very well because there I jumped into positions like um, as a process engineer and I was taking responsibility. I looked where weaknesses are, I was improving it. But again, it was about I make it happen rather than people around me. I need to take on board people around me. I need to uh, bring bring on board and make make them a part of the journey, and we do it together. It was me, my skills, my abilities, and I shine. I I show myself. I I because when I show myself, I do the get the next job because I can show myself. And in the system, in the organization I was, 
this was appreciated. So the result I was delivering in my way was appreciated by, well, well done, because they see things are getting done. So I was really good in getting things done. And I knew how, how I needed to trigger people and I knew exactly how I needed to manipulate people in a meeting that I get the outcome I wanted rather than having a facilitated outcome of the group wants. So I was really smart in terms of yeah. the pretending of people involvement yeah. yeah, in brackets, but it was more a convincing telling and be argumentative and verbal and strong enough to convince people what well, I thought I convinced them, which was a, an artificial convincement, but not really convincement. Actually, I lost them at the end of the day, but I thought I'd convinced them and make things somehow happen by, by pressure and by, by, by pulling strings but not really by involvement, integration, engagement, and um, make this, this way together. Uh, however, the organization was um, rewarding me for that way of working. So, and I thought, okay, that, so there must be something right with it, working that way. So if, what, what you get rewards for, you keep doing. Otherwise, what, what are you doing it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and suddenly I got a team leader role. Suddenly I got um, a bigger team leader role. Suddenly I got... Yeah, I was an operations manager of an organization of 350 people. I was leading 200 people suddenly. Point. Yeah, I said, wow, that's amazing. Some of my works. Yeah, so everything is on me. I know the best. Um, I have, um, I'm the expert. I'm, I'm telling or argumentatively convincing people somehow. Um, and I can and lead with clear goals. I can, when I follow our progress and all these kind of management things, then it works. Yeah, it works to a certain point until the point you put yourself running into the brick wall and the team members running into brick wall in terms of close to burnout. I could not sleep anymore. I was completely nervous. I was anxiety anxieties ahead. And because at the end of the day I put much too much pressure on my own shoulders. A lot of because doing it yourself brings also a lot of responsibility to say when you do it yourself, you yourself have responsibility to make it happen. Mm. It's not shared pressure. It's not shared responsibility. It's on your shoulders. And this brings you down as well. This makes you work crazy hours, makes you try to control everything, makes you try to understand everything, makes you try to be involved in everything. Yeah? And this brings yourself to a limit. Mm. And my limit was reached 2008, 2009. I get divorced. I split from my partner. Um, so everything was connected in this kind of way of living and thinking and behaving. Yeah, and then this was my turning point, my personal turning point, where one or two of my team members were really worn out, and I wouldn't say burn up, but really worn out at the edge. Um, and myself, I said, well, I cannot sleep anymore. I had sleeping problems for three months, uh, anxieties. Um, I was just felt like oh, I'm on speed, yeah? and um, I cannot calm down anymore. And it's actually, I, may, I know maybe, maybe some of your listeners know, you can, can have this kind of sense. It's a drug and a pain. On the one hand side, it's a drug because when you do, when you are successful with this and you can direct and solve and give advices and be the person who solves, this gives you a lot of reward. This gives you the drug you need. Yeah, and this keeps you on speed. This keeps you on, on this drug. But the moment when your drug is cutting off and you don't get this reward anymore for what you tell people, what you decide, what you make the difference for in the same decision, then you get a kind of a cold turkey mm. yeah. in terms of what is my purpose now? What is my value? What makes me happy now? What keeps me the energy in my body? And when this is cut off because you see this is not working anymore, what is left then is a big emptiness. 
yeah and then you need to find your new purpose so what when this is not my purpose and my idea of, of leading to tell people to decide to control to be involved in everything to be the expert in everything what on hell is my new purpose then so you've taken the drug away you know this drug is not working anymore it's bringing you nowhere but you don't have an alternative this creates emptiness scare anxieties and really fear and to overcome this I needed to, I did a lot of yoga. I mean, it sounds maybe, maybe crazy, but it helped me to calm down, to fight myself, to come to myself. I did a lot, I received coaching and I became a coach. So I did a one year coaching training. I'm not saying all leaders need to be a coach. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is it was a big help for me to learn a third discipline. I'm a, I'm a car mechanic. I'm a master of engineering and an MBA as well. So I, have, I know economics. I know technical stuff. But I don't know anything about people. I don't know anything about me, how to lead myself, what I need, what my needs are, what my purpose is, what makes me happy, what is happiness. Nothing about that. I never learned this in life. And I don't know how to lead other people, what other people need, and how people tick, and what makes people tick. So how, how and, and this, I never questioned this. I never questioned this my whole life. Because there was a saying, it's a belief out there in the organization, they say, oh, when you're an engineer, um, then it's easy to lead people as well, yeah, because you have done harder things than that. Yeah, and it, this is a completely misconception that just because you're good at something and you are an engineer and you are brilliant in an, as an expert level, that means you can lead. It means nothing. And for me, my task was, and this is my advantage. I'm a learner. I, li I like to learn and change myself and develop myself. I took this challenge and what to say: what discipline I need to learn. To make this work for me and for other people or I step out of here and I grow flowers yeah, so this has been the two options either I, I, I get my head around or I grow flowers this has been, the, this has been <laughs> yeah and and then I jump into it and said okay how I can learn this and I can learn this reflect myself and and question myself by doing the coaching training and be and get coaching from other people help for my coach and learn to coach this was my access point to leading in a different way, to having getting a different understanding. And then I read, wrote, I read, I read books, I was in videos on trainings, and from there, my curiosity was, was picked, and then I, I just went and experimented and tried. And, but this was a turning point. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because you said that you already had your MBA. Mm. Um, so for a lot of leaders in adverted commas, once they have the MBA, they really think that they are skilled up to, to lead people. Um, but actually for you, uh, not only was it having this quite dramatic personal experience, mm -hmm. um, the, the breakdown or the sort of close to burnout, but learning about yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of leaders think, a lot of managers who aspire to leadership, think that leading people is about learning techniques to get people to do mm -hmm. what you want them mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. Actually, for me, increasingly, and, and it seems for you as well, leadership is really a personal inner journey. And it doesn't necessarily end there because of course you have to understand what makes other people mm. tick too, as you said, but that the, the big piece of work is around understanding yourself, this massive self-awareness, knowing how, what, how you react, what drives you, how to get your needs met, what those needs are, what your values are. Um, and there seems to be so little of that in in business, in conventional leadership mm. programs. Is it something that you've brought in 
to your organization this this focus on self development and self growth um absolutely maybe from maybe derived from this learning i was not, not really never really backtracking this um whether this was his instance or not um definitely i become a strong believer and a practical a practice person in self-reflection by myself and as teams so what i started here when i when i started here in bristol i started to build really strongly the the, the management team and there have been 14 people at that time in the management team it's a quite a big group intensively team building trust building self-reflecting and team reflecting 360 degree reflecting and be able to talk about on a meta level about things so and then talk about i was in the first year i was focusing our conversations 60 70 percent on the team and personal and so how we act together how we work together how we communicate trust building i said how we work and and, and work as a team and personal development of each member and maybe 40 percent on business from there it derived a high level of reflection abilities and stepping back and looking on a process on an organization on a meeting on myself to see what's working what's not working and let's talk about how we can improve that and this ability of reflect and to come and create a, a massive trust and openness to say you know i'm struggling with this can you help me i have a problem here i had a massive problem of stepping back in meetings i was dominant in meetings and taking over meetings because i had so much to say i thought that I know stuff, I want to show that I know, I want to help. But with this, I was dominating. And people were telling me that. So we, we created an atmosphere where people were able to tell me that. I could open, say in my team to the guys, I know I'm a hell of a nightmare in meetings. I know I cannot just shut up. It's hard for me to, but could you help me with this? I need some help. Give me a sign or whatever that I'm not taking over here. So to be able to create this honesty it's one on the one hand side a big relief because you can be yourself you bring your complete self to the meeting and to the organization because you don't need to fear that you put your vulnerabilities on the table because saying i'm a dominant person sometimes i can take over meetings and this is probably not really nice for you it's a vulnerability i mean put this and share this with the team and other people have other stuff one had a challenge to delegate one had a challenge for self-managing and time management one had a, a different different challenge for different things and being able to reflect this being aware of these challenges is the first step to making the change for yourself happen and then having help maybe for external coaches or internal coaches to make the change happen is, is, is an extra is an extra uh, this kind of environment was created from the beginning of my journey i, I focused a lot of time as i said 60%, 70% of my time with the management team intensively to build this kind of atmosphere and understanding, which is paying out now when we make the changes happening, because we are able to step back in critical situations. We are able to reflect when we have conflicts or tension in our team to step back and say, what, what was actually happening here? What, what, what created that? And what we can do different next time instead of just swallowing it and getting it built up and getting more aggressive. And I have one, I figured one rule out for me um, is a belief. And this is my belief. An organization can only develop to a certain level. And this level is limited by the development level of the leaders. 
if I'm a manager type leader who is working with KPIs, with numbers, with tools, as you said, and try to lead with methods, with SWOT analysis, with, with by KPI, by goals and objectives, and all that stuff, and I'm very directive, I'm making decisions, I want to make decisions, I want to be involved, then the organizational development level is limited by that. People inside the organization who want to come up and make try to do different things will be blocked or are blocked by this development level of this kind of highest leadership hierarchy who will stay in the system. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, I I love that idea. And it's, and it's so, when I think about situations I've been in where I've been working with an organization that needs to change and the leadership team is saying, why won't our people change? And I reflect back, well, because you guys aren't changing and and it's not because somehow you need to model it it's not as simple as that it's not about walking the talk exactly it's about your organization as you say cannot be more sophisticated than you are and so however undeveloped you are that's your organization however developed you are that's your organization correct and just i have the i have a really basic example for that where i say well this is for me maybe the lowest level of example is I, I hear often organizations saying, oh, okay, our, our organization needs to be more innovative, right? And we now introduce facilitation with creative facilitation of sticky notes and brainstorming and maybe six hats from the Bono and, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I say specifically, specifically, they need to use these tools <laughs> yeah. to be more innovative, right? Yeah. And then suddenly, some of their people sitting with you in a meeting and you work in the old way. You're not using sticky notes. You're not using pictures. You're not using um, warm-up exercises. You're not, how does it work? This cannot work. So how truthful and honest you really mean what you say, that you want to change an organization, be more innovative by using these tools when you're not applying it by yourself. And this is a mini, mini example of a hundred other attitudes, feeling and, and, and how you show how an organization should be and there's a big difference for me to say oh we should do this or they should do that and to say no 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 this was my principle from the beginning we go there first yeah we go there first and then the organization will follow but if we say they should this is not working and and what do you think it is so you know if if someone's listening to this and they're thinking okay you know i i I get it. I see. I see. It makes perfect logical sense that. Um, but, you know, I, there are a million reasons why I can't change the way I do it or why we can't change the way we do it. Sangaman's a different environment. Alex is a different kind of person. He's had this experience. I haven't had it. I can totally understand someone listening to this and thinking, yeah, sounds good, but it's different for me. What, what, would, you, what would you say? What, what would your response be to that? My response is um, fear of change. Is, it's, it's a very hard and maybe overused mm. word, mm. As, as you say. It's more, I would, I would explain, it's a, it's a reluctancy to come from a state A, which is known to the person and works to a certain extent, even if the results are horrible. <laughs> yeah, even if, you know, work life is horrible, fighting at home, no time for family. Um, internally, you need to push a lot of stuff. Um, you know, you are you are put a lot of energy in things. You have fights with your with your colleagues, or maybe even not. Maybe it's just a convenient flow. 
everything is fine, but it's coming from this known world to something I don't know yet. Mm. And this is leaving something I know, even if it's painful and horrible, to something I don't know, but could be better or could be different. Or could be worse. I, I mean, that's worse. obviously yeah. the, the fear, right? Yeah. yeah, could be worse. And making this step out of the known into the unknown, this is for me actually the relaxancy of change. And a lot of people connecting different things to it. It doesn't mean fear. Mm. It doesn't mean losing convenience. Doesn't, it means eventually to invest more time first or going to the unknown means experimenting, exploring and not explorer. So there, there are a lot of stuff where I have no time or you know, I'm fearing I get lost in it and I'm, I'm, I'm losing my way. Or if I don't know the, no, the, 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 the new world, what will it be? So why on a hey, I, I should go there? Why? And there are only two reasons for me, and I've come across only two reasons why people change. There must be a massively positive outlook, or there must be currently such a high pain, <laughs> yeah, that I want to change. Yeah. And I, I believe at the moment that the the, the pain, you know, we we try to convince a lot of times about, oh, this could be so nice. You could be a better work-life balance. You could be a much more chilled person. I sense at the moment with the experience I have, people are more likely to change when they have higher pain. And this is, I don't like this, and this is, but I experienced that. And I yes, experienced exactly what you experienced, yeah. yeah. When you are on the edge, when the organization is on the edge, when, whatever reason, there are certain moments in your life where you make the internal decision to say, I need to do something different. I want, this energy is big enough to overcome my known to something unknown, this energy must be big enough to do this jump, to do the step out of that. Mm. And this is either created by something really, really nice and, and good, or by really painful, I need to move. And, and I actually did a combination of both in the organization. So by um, using, for instance, as an example, a, a, a facilitator. So our organization was led by firefighting, chaos people have been my management team has been overworked completely no life balance anymore worked in silos tension and fighting to each other it was an elbow organization a little bit like that i went in and said okay i saw that you're on the edge so with a team building exercise two and a half days and i brought them in they hated to come in they reluctantly said oh, no it's a waste of time we have so much to do and spending two and a half days outside is horrible it's nuts and I said, I'm the boss. I tell you, we go there. I, I, whatever you I used said. that. You used that. I had, I had, I no other child. I was, I was explaining all the advantages, all the stuff why we should do this. But the day-to-day -day was so powerful. They said, we don't have time. We don't have time to sharpen our eggs to be more efficient. This was not, not there. They said, okay, we must be there. Let's go out. And we created such a positive experience of talk, release of all these emotions and, and sticking together and create an atmosphere where they are trust and they talk about the history and they, they suddenly melted together closer. And this created a positive experience for them, a positive outlook, how it could be by just experiencing it. So the energy was there to change, but they didn't want to go this step because they're stuck into the day to day. I helped them, encouraged them, told them to go into this experience. Mm. experience a positive something, I would say, wow, this could be really different. 
And then with this kind of starting point, I was leading differently. I opened up. I was trustful. I was gave him um, responsibility. Was more a coach rather than a teller. And they say, "What? Well, this is really nice." So by experiencing it differently, they experienced a positive, and they went more with it. Other people in the management team, I needed to bring them to the edge, to create even more pain for them to make a change. To say they have been completely overcommitting. They're not delegating anything to the teams. They're not involved the teams at all. Everything was on their shoulders. So I raced and said, okay, you, you want to have another project? Perfect, you get another project. You, you get more tasks on board? Perfect, get this task. And I was asking where the deliveries are. Where is that? 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 Until the point that they came to me and said, Alexander, I cannot do it anymore. I said, bravo. We are here now. Yeah? Okay, so let's talk now. Are you ready? Let's yeah, talk yeah, now. Yeah. So, so you were a bit of a bastard. Yes. You pushed them to the point of the yeah. break. Yeah. Because, you know, telling him you are not delegating, telling him to say it would be helpful to involve your team was not getting through. No. You had to make the pain. So you had to be such a pain in the ass to them yeah. that in the end they could take no more. Yeah. And, and but, but <laughs> having a real close observation of where are they and support them with help immediately mm. when it was needed. So not, let, not drop them. Yeah. This is very, this needs intensive work to help them to come to this insight. But when the insights comes, there must be help, mm. support, and offer to say, okay, understand, it's the edge now, so, so what are we going to do now? So how can, and some people, this was an extreme curve, or some people went easy. Mm. How, it depends on what personality you are. You need a lot of, people can stand a lot of pain before they do moves. And other people just, well, this is uncomfortable, I want to do something about it, let's change, so I, what, what I can do here? And it's really different from you, for person from person. Some are motivated by the positive outlook. Some are, um, need a little bit more, more of this pain feeling, I cannot do more. It's really different from person to person. However, if you want to make this change happen, we, we as leaders cannot stay where we are. Otherwise, we're not de deliver, developing our organization. Or we assume ourselves as super developed already. <laughs> and, uh, and a kind of a shiny holy grail of whatever thing. And okay, but I'm not there yet. And um, probably we will hear the same from a, from a management team that haven't been there yet as well. So it's interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking about my definition of leadership. And, and to me, a leader as opposed to a manager or just someone who calls themselves a leader but isn't really mm -hmm. leading. Um, a leader is someone who looks at what is and what could be and then disrupts the status quo to bring about change. Yeah. which is what you which is exactly what you did and i'm curious uh, and, and you had to draw on a style of leadership which was almost anti what you truly believe in order yeah. to create that outcome but but yeah. you were so committed to the outcome that you did what it took it depends on how much time you have so if you have an organization which works everything is fine you have a steady income stream and you say okay we need to develop maybe the next 10 years to something different so maybe your speed and the, and, the, and the time you have to make this change happen and, and bring people to the insights and convincing them slowly to, to a different way of working. Um, maybe you can even use a different approach for that. If you have three years or even less because the, the, the business is in, in chaos and brackets or has a, a drop down of, of, of results and we need to do something about it, otherwise your, the organization will close down or have significant problems then you need to accelerate. 
And this is why I said, okay, uh, it's a mixture for me to, for some people need a little bit more, more pain or more, or more needs to change, some need more positive outlook and maybe a combination of it. But it also depends on how much time we have. So the only thing that I can see that um, is a question for me, and it's partly because I haven't met your guys, is whether you have managed to create within the organization leaders who are as passionate and committed about it as you to the extent that they would go to the lengths that you were willing to go to. Um, Because as you say, firstly, you're not going to be there forever. And secondly, even if you were there, that would kind of defy the point. You know, it, it, exactly. the whole point is not to be led by a charismatic leader and to do it all exactly. because you're so inspired by them, um, but to find the inspiration from inside. Yeah. So have, have I, I understand that they get it and that they care about it hugely. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that you've managed to create in them that level of commitment that they would put themselves into the position that you have been willing to put yourself into? I would say it depends. Within the management team, I would say 80% yes. They would keep it going because they, for instance, there are a lot of nice things coming with this and a lot of positive developments with this. As I said, they can do where their passions are, where they feel valued, where they um, feel they make a difference. So there is a lot of freedom and a lot of having fun and joy with this in in work, having there's no there's no clocking system. There's no nobody who's telling them uh, and approving holidays anymore. So there's a, a lot around this, which gives a lot of a positive atmosphere and the reason why to be here and why to keep it going. And I would say um, it's a little bit like I think they wouldn't stand any other organization form anymore because they wouldn't get crazy if now we would change back to hierarchy and, and people tell them they would just get freaked out because they have, they have experienced this new way and really get the smell and the taste. How could it be? And now turning back, it's really hard. So I would say, yes, 80% definitely 100% on board and it would be hard to turn the wheel back um, because of just of their personal experience and probably if this would happen, probably they would leave. Um, so there's a, a kind of a, a momentum going um, within the management team to keep it going. Just there's so much fun and, and excitement about it. Mm. And um, so, and this is, this is a problem for me as well. Once you have experienced the different way of working and you're really into it and you develop yourself to a different level, different state and a different awareness of different values and how it could be and you're experiencing it how it could be. And even we are not there yet. I mean, this is even more to come. Um, is well, can I really imagine myself to go back in the hierarchy? <laughs> I would get crazy. I would nuts. So I, I, a little bit, I'm burned in that. You know, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's ruined. Yeah, yeah. It's ruined you for anyone else. Yeah. yeah. So um, and the the real positive thing is my boss and my boss boss and the organization we are in are, are really fostering and supporting this way of working. So the likelihood that a management director or another person comes in which really ruins everything is really low and actually we, we, there's a higher likelihood that we just keep it going. I remember when I got my first job um, at the BBC and my parents said now congratulations obviously mm-hmm. um, your, now your job is to make yourself indispensable mm-hmm. 
And it's almost like you're doing the complete opposite. Yeah. You, your job is to make yourself completely dispensable. Yeah. So what's next then? What at the point at which they don't need you or they need to then live without you, what next? Um, and this is, this is what I ask my team right now. I ask, I ask the open question, at what area I can, uh, I can add the most value? So where could I be the, the best servant for the organization? Uh, and we have open conversations about this. And, and, and the best, so I, was, I was the best servant for the organization to give direction and foster the change and, and initiating things and um, getting this started. And but this is now rolling. So, and what is my new role then? So where can I add value without stepping on other people's toes and just, again, do stuff what other people could do? And it's more being more and more individual coach, being more and more um, overlooking the, I would say, the overall cultural development and help the, the management team to see where we are culturally not developed yet and where we need to do the next steps. So I'm quite good at seeing the trees in the woods. I don't know whether this translates into mm -hmm. English. And to see what is coming, looking long term, and help the team to develop the skills to do this by their own. And this is at the moment a gap I have, or the gap we have is me as a person, not as an MD, I'm not, not because I'm the MD, because me, Alexander, I have a certain skill set. And the skill set is seeing, the, tree, seeing the, wood, the, the trees in the woods and be able to look out to what is coming and where we need to adjust and where we need to develop in what areas, organizational-wise. Mm. And the question is, who can take over this role in the future? And it's, it's not the MD, it's, it's a person. It's, it can be HR, it can be a different person, doesn't matter who. Well, what gap need to be filled who, who, to, to keep this? Because it's, it's a crucial part to develop further. Because certainly what, what I'm hearing is that you've got an organization of people who can absolutely keep the momentum going yeah. and they're committed to keeping the momentum going. But what you have that's a little different is the willingness to disrupt momentum. Yes, exactly. And, and that, is a different, that is a different quality and, and yeah. that is not necessarily something that everyone is going to be willing or able to do. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and how how much is this needed still and how we create this uh, without me? Well, I mean, you could probably definitely talk about this for a whole other day. Yes. <laughs> but unfortunately, we have to stop. Um, but it's been fascinating and I'm sure that anyone listening to this, it will really have got them thinking about what is stopping them from finding, and it won't necessarily be your way, you know, no. But, no. but finding a way to to overcome the limitations that are sort of baked into the way we run business yeah. today. Yeah. Um, and, and that journey seems to start from what you're saying with themselves. It doesn't yeah. start with restructure. It doesn't start with thinking about self-organization or self-management or self-direction or any of those things. It, it starts with their own self and that yeah. inner work. Yeah. And I like, and I like this. There, there was a question um, from a good coach to me is he asked me the question, how do you create your own problems? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how do you create your own, your own organization you see right now? And, and this is a quite powerful question to yourself, which hits your face and say, well, well why? No, no, this is the people are creating this. <laughs> <Not me. laughs> yeah. Yeah. But actually, and, um, to what extent is it you? Yeah. Exactly. Creating this, right? 
and, and the other part I want to say to the end is everything what I'm saying right now, I've, I've told you in the last, um, yeah, whatever, one and a half hours we talked here, is, is my truth, is, is my reality. And it's maybe completely wrong because this is <laughs> how I, I have saved it in my head and my explanation um, tries how it worked or not worked. And if you ask 140 people in the organization, they have 140 pictures in their heads. And so I don't want to leave this as this is the truth. This is my truth. This is my way I explain it. And it can be for other people completely different, different things are needed. And it's not the magic way. Um, I just share my experience in that sense. Well, there you go. I mean, that's also part of the mindset, isn't it? That there is no right answer. Yeah. It's just the way we're doing it. And yeah. we're going to see. Alex, thank you very much. It's been a huge joy to, to talk to you and to listen to your ideas, ideas you. today. It was amazing. <laughs> what a lovely chap. One of the things I really like about talking to Alex is that he's not a stereotypical teal leader. He definitely learned the hard way. He was raised in the command and control leadership school of hard knocks. But I'm sure that we'll be talking to him again and finding out how things are going over there at Sangaban. So that's it for this week. I will hand over now to the lovely Ivy Palmer to summarise some of the key points from today. The best leaders don't focus on creating followers. They focus on creating more leaders. If you were going to make your own role redundant over the next 18 months, what would you need to change about your leadership style? And remember, the organisation can only be as developed as you are. So, focus on your own development first. Please remember to comment, review and share this podcast with all your friends. It's not just leaders who benefit when they're rethinking their leadership style. It's their whole organisation.